This morning, again, we're talking about this idea of trusting God in an unclear season, and we'll be looking at at Acts chapter 5, and I'll pick up at verse 27, and I'll be reading down to verse 42. But before we take a look at it, and even before I give you some background on this passage, let me have a word of prayer for us. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to spend some time looking at your word together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that you give to us, not only to look at it, but also to to proclaim it. And we know, Lord, that uh, this is a a forum that you have entrusted to us that we pray that by your grace we would be good stewards of. But Lord, in the midst of everything that we're going through right now as individuals, as a community, as a church, as a state, as a nation, we pray, Lord, that we would learn more about what it looks like to trust you in the midst of uncertain times. And Lord, when I look at just the things going on, sometimes I wonder to myself, when's the next time I'll even be able to just sit down in a restaurant and eat a meal like I, I enjoy doing? And, and so, Lord, I, 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 I realize it's such a minor thing, but it's the type of thing that, that comes to my mind, and I'm sure all of us tend to think about that. But Lord, we pray that you would use this season of our lives to help us to trust you more deeply And we thank you for the examples that you give to us in Acts chapter 5 of people dealing with real, genuine hardship and peril that learned to trust you in the midst of their season of uncertainty. So we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at this together. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts now as we look at your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned just a moment ago... This morning we're in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to be picking up at verse 27 in just a moment. But before we start looking at this uh, portion of Scripture, a section at a time, I wanted to give you just a little bit of background about what was taking place in this particular passage. So Acts chapter 5, this is a a portion of Scripture that, that records events that occurred during the era of the early church. I love reading portions of Scripture like this because I find it very inspiring. I find it very encouraging. I also find it very instructive because there's a lot of wisdom that we can glean from looking at the example of believers who lived in particular in that, in that particular era of church history. So this was not long after Christ's resurrection, not long after Christ's ascension back to heaven, and you have the early church existing and doing the things that the, that the Lord had called them to do. And in that particular era, there were a variety of things that believers were praying that the Lord would give them assistance with. And one of the important things that they were praying that the Lord would assist them with was boldness. They wanted to be bold in proclaiming their faith in Christ, and they also wanted the Lord's strength to help them endure genuine persecution. So they were praying for boldness, and they were praying for strength. And the Lord answered that prayer. The Lord answered their requests for boldness and strength. And in the midst of all of this, we also see the events taking place here illustrating that God wanted something from them, and it's the same thing He wants from you and from me. God expected holiness from their lives, meaning He did not want these believers to go back into a worldly mindset and a worldly lifestyle after having been rescued from that. So God was answering their prayers for boldness and strength, but he was also expecting from them holiness that they would walk with the Lord in the midst of all seasons and not go back to their old sinful mindsets and old sinful lifestyles, 
but every single day was a test for these early believers. Yet, even in the midst of this, there were signs being done, there were wonders being done, all sorts of miraculous things were taking place in their midst, which were amazing things to witness. And, you know, many, many things that these believers had never seen or experienced before were happening right there in their midst. So they were encouraged. They were uh, uplifted in the midst of their persecution, and they were noticing the hand of God at work all around them. And so again, in the midst of everything they were enduring, the Lord was teaching them to trust Him. And I want us to have that background in our minds as we look at this portion of Scripture. And again, I'll just take it a segment at a time here as we work our way through it today. Uh, But I want us to understand a little bit more about what it looks like to trust the Lord when things feel shaky when things feel uncertain, because this is a portion of Scripture that gives us an awesome example of what that looks like. So first thing that I think we learn from believers who are trusting God in this particular context when things felt uncertain is that they had a strong conviction that they must obey God over men. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 27. I'll read down to verse 32, but it says this. It says, and when they had brought them, They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, in the verses just prior to this section, the apostles had been arrested because they were teaching people about the necessity of faith in Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness of sins. So they were going around teaching people that they needed to trust in Jesus Christ for their sins to be forgiven. It results in them being arrested, and while they're in jail, they were miraculously freed from prison. And then from there, they went to the temple, and they continued to preach the message of the gospel. And when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, when I look at these events leading up to what we just read today, I am so impressed by the courage that God gave these simple men, because He gave them courage to do the task that He had given them. And even though they were risking their lives and risking their freedoms to do the task that God had given them, they were willing to risk those things. I take courage from that. I feel like that's edifying for us to notice. And from the temple, we're told that they were then escorted by officers to appear before the high priest and before the council for questioning, because not everybody was happy about what they were doing. So imagine being the apostles at this point. They've spent several years at this point following Jesus. They've spent several years learning from Jesus in the midst of following Him. They had come to the understanding that Jesus was indeed God come in the flesh, they watched Jesus be denied by his people. They, they saw as Jesus was crucified. But they also saw that he rose from the grave and then had uh, 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 charged them with the task of making the gospel known throughout the world. That was the commission that he gave them as a commission he gave us as well. And, and now you have a group of know-it-alls. You have this group of, of, of people who 
They had heads that were filled with knowledge, but their hearts were, were hard as stone. And they were telling these apostles, who had witnessed all these things from Jesus and with Jesus, they were telling the apostles to stop preaching. They were telling them to stop teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. They were telling the apostles to to stop reminding people that it was actually these religious leaders that had emphatically called for Christ's crucifixion. So they were really bothered by what the apostles were doing. Now, what were you, and, and they were, by the way, saying this in a very threatening way. So what do you suppose you would do if you were posed with a circumstance like the apostles were facing in this particular moment? And maybe we could answer it this way. What do you do right now when your faith gets tested? Because that'll answer how you would have responded and how I would have responded in a context like they were in. We would do what we do. So what do I do when my faith is being tested? What do you do when your faith is being tested? It's the same thing you would have done or I would have done in the context that the apostles were dealing with in this particular moment. What we do now would indicate what we would have done then. But something that I believe was true of the apostles at this point is that they had been graced with courage from God. God had given them courage. This is a courage that that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a courage that comes through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit because these men were absolute chickens before Christ's crucifixion. You know, when you you look at some of the things that had taken place prior to that, you, you might be able to point out a few instances where they acted with some degree of courage, but for the most part, they seemed like the type of people that were more prone to scatter than stand their ground. And prior to Christ's crucifixion, you know, they seem like they were fearful men. But now you get to this point where they, you know, they're not scattering and running from persecution. Now they had seen the risen Christ. Now they had, they had recognized that the Lord was with them and was present in their context and was giving them courage and was giving them strength. And because they had seen the risen Christ, they also recognized that that meant that death, which is for many people, the scariest possible outcome of any scenario, they realized that death no longer had the power over them that it once did. It didn't control their mind. It didn't control their lifestyle. The fear of death wasn't something that, that they were gripped by like they once were because they had seen Jesus Christ, their Lord, their Savior, their friend. He had already demonstrated that death was defeated, and these men were now sent on a mission to make Christ known where he was unknown. And I look at this and I think, you know what? When you live your life as someone who's not afraid of death, it makes a huge difference in how you, in how you approach all kinds of circumstances. And as I was preparing for today, as I was reading through the scripture this week, I thought, you know what? I see that right now in so many ways, don't you? I mean, the way that we're currently responding to trials right now, it really shows you who fears death and who does not fear death. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, um, you, you see that the apostles, they understood that death wasn't something that a believer needs to spend their life in perpetual fear of. And so with all of this in mind, Peter speaks up and he reminds these leaders that they had an obligation as apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ to obey God rather than man. And he shares the gospel with these unbelieving men. And I look at this and I think about this from a personal standpoint. I also look at this from the standpoint of our local church. And I think as a church and as individuals, this needs to be one of our primary goals. We need to obey God rather than man in the sense that we strive to be people 
who make obedience to God's leading paramount in our individual lives and paramount in our approach to making His gospel known within our community. So when we follow our preferences and when we follow worldly ambitions, what ends up happening is we end up feeling disappointed. Uh, When we try and walk by sight, we end up feeling disappointed. But when we trust the Word of God, when we trust the will of God in the midst of unclear seasons, we end up rejoicing in seeing what His hand ultimately accomplishes in our midst. And so, just as a general principle of life, we need to obey God over anyone or anything else. And this was something that the apostles were finally starting to grasp. This has been a lifelong lesson that the Lord's been gradually teaching me. I suspect that this has been a lifelong lesson that you too are also in the process of learning this transition from obeying uh, worldly dictates uh, versus the Lord's injunction upon our hearts. And you have the apostles saying, look, we must obey God rather than man. And so that's kind of where this section kind of starts off. And then they, they transition by, um, by, by showing, uh, and you can see here in this context, the things that were taking place. It, it basically forces everyone to ask a question. And the question is this, is, is this the plan of God or the plan of men, the things that were taking place? Is this something that, that God has planned? Or is it something that man has planned as they're kind of wrestling with all of this? Look with me, if you would, at verse 33, and I'll read down to verse 39. But there it says this. When they heard this, so they're, they're responding, by the way, to the response of the apostles as they're responding and saying, listen, we've got to listen to God over man. And so when they hear them make this response, it says, when they hear this, they were, or when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care that what you are about to do with these men. He says, for before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this understanding is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God... You will, not be able to, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Let me pause there for just a second. And let me say this. You know, when you look at this early portion of Scripture, you could see that there was some hatred here. There was hatred for God's people. There was hatred toward the apostles. Hatred is a powerful emotion. And I'm guessing that there are probably people in your life right now that that you struggle not to hate, or maybe you don't even struggle with it. Maybe you just choose, no, I think I'll just hate them. Um, I would encourage you not to go in that direction, but I think all of us have probably dealt with at times in our lives people that we really struggled not to hate. And when you look at the words of Christ, and I'll I'll show a scripture related to this in just a second, but during Christ's Sermon on the Mount, when you look at what Jesus said, Jesus equated hatred with murder because of the bitterness 
um, that comes into a person's heart, the bitterness that takes root in a person's heart uh, when, when they experience hatred. Right, it, it, it turns into murder. It morphs into into murder. It's not a a far jump. Actually, wishing that somebody that you hate experiences harm or death. I've actually seen that happen multiple times. But the way Jesus said it, it's in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty one uh, through verse twenty two. He says this: You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder," and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So, as odd as it may, may sound, um, you know, hatred actually very frequently morphs into murder. Maybe thoughts of murder in, a, in, in, in your head or even acts of murder in a person's life if they continue to foment feelings of hatred. In fact, I can even remember very early in my pastoral ministry talking to two different pastors in two different occasions who actually admitted to me that they were kind of looking forward to the death of certain people who had opposed their ministries. And that I remember the one guy even saying to me, he's like, yeah, I'll actually be able to, to do some of the things that, that I would like to do in ministry once this person dies. And I remember kind of feeling startled by that because I could tell that they were sort of rooting for that person to pass away. I remember talking to another guy who uh, said, yeah, I dealt with a lot of issues from this person, but now they're dead. And he seemed so happy about it. And it, it seemed in my mind, I thought, all right, mental note, don't ever let hatred get to that spot in your heart because y- you don't want to have a list of people that you're like, yeah, I'm looking forward to that person being dead and that person being dead and that person being dead. Let me encourage you, if that's something that you've been wrestling with, that is not a healthy spot to get to. Jesus made that clear. It's also something that's illustrated when we look at Acts chapter 5, because the religious leaders that were opposing the apostles, what did they want? They wanted to see all kinds of people dead, anyone that disagreed with them. They basically just wanted to see them dead, not a healthy spot to get to. Again, this council, they hated the apostles, they wanted them dead, and they didn't like being blamed for something in particular. And what they didn't like being blamed for was the death of Jesus. But here they were, and they're considering the same murderous approach that they had taken against Christ. They're considering using this toward the followers of Christ. They don't like being blamed for Jesus' death, but yet their plan at this point is, well, we should kill these people that are blaming us for killing Jesus. It's like, don't you see the circular logic here that's not making sense. And so we're told here that a voice of reason, a man named Gamaliel, he stands up uh, in their midst. He was a teacher of the law, and he decides to talk to them about this. And his advice to the council was actually rather sound. And he mentioned to them that it was his belief that if what the apostles had spoken of was just an idea of humanity, if it was just a, 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 an idea of man, a work of man, that ultimately it was just going to fail of its own accord. It, accord. it, it wasn't going to be something that, that produced, it, produced any lasting effect. But if it was of God, they would not be able to overthrow them. So if it was of man, it was going to amount to nothing. If it was of God, nothing that this council did to oppose it was going to work. And so the council thought about the things that Gamaliel said and It sounded reasonable to them, and he was certainly someone that they respected, and so they decided to take his advice. They listened to what he said. So 
I look at this, and I also try and think of these things through the lens of how we operate as Christians living right now, but also how we operate as a local church. And I think that this is a question we need to be asking ourselves always. We need to be asking it right now as well. Uh, Is the plan we're following of God, or is it of man? Is it of God, or is it of man? And so what we do is we pray about it, and we seek the Lord's counsel. And we look to His Word, and we, we try and see, all right, Lord, what have you clearly revealed to us? What have you made known to us uh, related to your plan for your local church? And when I look at the New Testament, really when I look at the entirety of Scripture, but in the New Testament in particular, it's, it's outlined very specifically, there's a plan that the Lord's outlined for His church in the New Testament that we would be wise to follow. And it's something that as a local church, we talk about all the time. We talk about it in the sense of of the four G's of what we say a local church should be committed to. And the four G's we say are gather, grow, give, and go. Gather, grow, give, and go. That this is God's will for us as individuals, that this is God's will for us as a local church. And so, again, I want to take some time over the coming weeks to emphasize these things freshly. I think I need to hear these things again, but I also hope that as as a church family, this will be something that can be a a useful time of reminder for us. Uh, But again, you know, gathering, growing, giving, and going, this is something that the Lord outlines as His plan for the New Testament church. So what does this mean? Well, when it comes to gathering, God's called the church to gather together for worship. He's called the church to gather together for fellowship. He's called the church to gather together for study. He's called the church to gather together for remembering Christ's work on the cross as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's something that we're to be devoted to. That's something that we're to be committed to. And I got to tell you, I'm grateful that we have options like live streaming. As far as long-term, as far as I'm concerned, I think that this is something that I, I intend that we just continue to do. We started doing this last year, and people expressed a desire for it. And I thought, yeah, that's a really good thing. And so I want us to continue to do that you know, well into the future. I think it's a great way to proclaim the message of the gospel and, and, and make the gospel known. But I got to tell you what, it is no substitute for gathering. We are not gathered right now, and I miss it. And uh, I don't know how much longer I can put up with not being physically gathered. So I'm just going to bear my soul before you right now and let you know that, yeah, we're live streaming, but this isn't ultimately the church. I mean, this is, this is video. That's great. You know, I mean, it's a great as a temporary solution. Um, but, I'll, you know, I don't know if it's safe to admit these things, but I'm just going to be honest with you and let you know, my patience for not gathering has worn very, very thin. I want to see your faces as soon as possible, but I also know, I, I realize that not everybody's going to feel immediately comfortable doing that. So rest assured, I'm not going to get on your case if that's not something that you feel comfortable doing. I'm also not going to make you feel like you're less of a Christian if you feel like, for, for good reason, that you can't physically gather. But I have to tell you, I'm going to be ready to gather before I think um, many of the political officials tell me I'm, I should be ready to gather. So take that for, for what it for what it is, uh, but I'm just being honest with you, and I'm just telling you the truth. Because when I look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that believers are called to gather. We're told to not forsake assembling together. I'm going to be talking more about this next week. But, you know, the Lord, 
does not want us to be people that avoid each other perpetually because we just live in fear of what ifs and, and what ifs. I got to tell you, I'm pretty much done with that. So I hope you don't hate me for saying that, but that's where I'm at emotionally. I, I hope I can be honest and say that. Scripture also teaches us that we're called to grow. So we gather and we grow. Well, as a mission as a church, one of the things that we want to do is we want to facilitate growth. And we know that growth cannot happen to the degree that God wants it to happen if we're off in pockets of isolation by ourselves. Face-to-face fellowship helps facilitate growth. That's why when you look at the programs we have as a church, we don't try and develop a whole bunch of programs to entertain people. We actually try and develop programs that facilitate discipleship, face-to-face investment, face-to-face interaction. Because the Lord makes it very clear in His Word that you and I cannot grow to the degree that we need to grow to alone. Because you have not been given all the spiritual gifts, I have not been given all the spiritual gifts, so we need to spend time with one another so that those things are rubbing off on one another, and we're ultimately growing in our walk with one another. And so the Lord designs us to make those investments. What about giving? Well, the Lord calls us to be people who use what He entrusts to us to give. So right now in a moment like this, as I'm teaching through the Scriptures, this is something that I'm doing as an act of giving. I do this as a, as, as a way to give something that the Lord's given to me. So if He's given me a desire to teach, if He's given me an ability to teach, if He's given me opportunities that created the privilege for me to learn the Scriptures, I'm to give, right? And so we give of our time, we give of our talents, we give of our treasures. We basically say, Lord, anything you've given to me, I just want to be generous with. So we give as the Lord has given to us, and then we go. And the idea of going is seeing ourselves as missionaries in every context that he places us in. So you're a missionary in your workplace. You're a missionary online. You're a missionary in your neighborhood. You're a missionary to your family. We have been sent on the mission to go. We gather, we grow, we give, we go. This is the Lord's desire for the church. So again, we're going to be talking about these things more in coming weeks. I think I need to hear this fresh, but I wanted to just kind of overview it today and explain the fact you know, or just ask the question again, is this the plan of man or is this the plan of God? Well, the plan of God involves those four G's, the gathering, the growing, the giving, the going. That's the plan of God. The plan of man tells me don't do that. The plan of God tells me to do that. So now I'm in in that awkward spot of saying, which one am I going to do? Which one, which voice am I going to listen to? You can understand my dilemma. And I'm sure that you probably wrestle with the same things. Is it the plan of man or is it the plan of God? I'm at an interesting point now. Please be patient with me. <laughs> but there's one other thing that's brought up in this portion of Scripture that I think is, is um, it's really interesting when you talk about what does it look like to trust God in the midst of an uncertain season. I got, I'm, <laughs> we're going through a season none of us have ever experienced this before, and I've never experienced this from my perspective of pastoral leadership. So what do you do when you're trying to trust God in the midst of an uncertain season? Well, one other thing the Scripture brings out that I think is very, very useful for me, and I hope it's very useful for you as well, is that we need to rejoice. We need to be people who rejoice in the midst of uncertainty or even suffering. Look at what it tells us in verse 40, and I'll just read down to verse 42, and this is where, where we'll wind up today. But in verse 40, it says this, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. 
rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, again, let me reread that, and every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. A powerful portion of Scripture, at least it's convicting to me. Now, as much as as much as we would like to think that everything in this life will go smoothly, without bumps and without surprises, that's never been Christ's promise to us. He never promised me that life in this world is going to go without bumps or without surprises or without difficulty. It's not a promise that He's given to you either. In fact, He's actually promised us that if we follow Him, the opposite is going to take place. We will expect, or that we should expect, the same kind of treatment that he experienced, the same kind of treatment that the apostles experienced. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says this. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read it again. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, ironically, Uh, just as quickly as I'm able to read that scripture out loud to you or read it in my own mind, just as quickly as I'm able to read it, I often fail to bring it back to mind. And what I mean is this, you know, without much conscious effort, I can easily convince myself that if a day doesn't go smoothly, that something isn't right. You know, if my hands are are all chapped because it's been cold and blustery and there's snow on the ground and the weather isn't perfect and I'm not sipping an, an iced tea while staring at some beautiful palm trees, right? That something must be wrong, that my life must be in a messed up state if I'm not experiencing all those creature comforts and all those wonderful things and all the things that right now I feel have been taken away. Something must be wrong. And then I look at the, the experience of the apostles. I look at the things that they went through. The apostles were called before this council, and we're told here that instead of killing them, what they decided to console themselves with doing was just beating them severely. So they they delighted themselves with beating these men. And then, as they had done before, they insisted that these men stop speaking in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they let them go. Now, what would your response be if you were one of these apostles that had just been beaten because you had chosen to be bold in your proclamation in the temple? bold in your proclamation in the streets, bold in your proclamation of the gospel, house to house, and, and had just been beaten up for it. And I, I wonder, by the way, how hard these men were beaten, because it doesn't go into every last detail about the severity and, and what was hit and what was bruised and what was bleeding, but I wonder how swollen were their faces, like what did they actually look like after they had left the council? How were they able to walk? Did they have to hunch? Were they walking slowly? Were they kind of you know, like, like just trying to move their back in such a way as to maybe mitigate the pain? And, you know, were they kind of rubbing their wounds? What was it like? How torn were their clothes as they, as they left this council here? How bruised were their bodies? This is the type of stuff that I think about when I read this. It's funny because sometimes I think I've had a bad day if somebody says something unkind to me. And here you have these men who are punched in the face, punched all over their body, probably beaten with implements and tools, And it tells us that they left the presence of this council rejoicing. So they had a smirk on their face. They had a smile as they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Well, what were they rejoicing over? Well, the Scripture tells us that ultimately because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, 
They had joy that could not be diminished by their circumstances. They loved Christ. They taught in Christ's name. They testified to the eternal power that was present in their lives because of the name of Christ. And they delighted themselves in the fact that, as the Scripture says here, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. That they were ripped apart because they they worshiped Christ and proclaimed His name. And they said, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have been counted worthy to suffer dishonor. They suffered dishonor in the eyes of men. But they lived and they continued to teach in the name of Christ. That's a scripture that motivates me. I think to myself, am I willing to experience a little dishonor to go on preaching? I'll tell you the truth, I am. And that's something that I think that we're called to do as a church. They continue to teach about Christ in their homes. They continue to teach about Christ in public places. And they rejoiced in their suffering in the midst of it. And they pressed on with all the strength that the Lord had given them. Now, again, it's always interesting to go through seasons of change. We really don't know what to expect when we're going through them. That's the spot we're at right now. I mean, you know, when we look at what's going on right now, that's where we're at. You know, we can't predict what's going to come to us as individuals. We can't predict what's going to come to us as a church. But we do know that we, could, that we can honor Christ in the high moments and in the low moments, and we could trust Him regardless. We could trust Him whatever may come. We can praise Him when everything seems well and good, and we can rejoice in Him when our experiences seem less than ideal. So let me say this as we finish up today, and obviously you can tell there's a lot of things that I'm thinking about right now, and so I, do me a favor and please pray for me right now in the midst of everything, because I want to make good decisions, but I also want to make sure that I'm listening to God in the midst of making those good decisions. And I also don't want to make listening to God as an excuse for making bad decisions. Sometimes I see church leaders do that where they, they blame God for their bad decisions. I don't want to do that either. I want to make good decisions, but I want to make sure I'm hearing the voice of God. So if you pray for me, and I hope that you do pray for me, at least on occasion, but pray that I'll hear God's voice on certain decisions that I need to make in regard to my own life and in regard to how, I'm, how best to lead our church in a moment like this. But the point is, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, and this is, again, where we'll wrap up, just know this, Jesus is the one who builds His church. And so in the midst of him building his church, we need to be faithful stewards of everything that he's entrusted to us. And we can rejoice in where he's brought us so far. And we could look forward to what he has in store. But we can trust him when we're in the midst of that uncomfortable uncertainty. That's where I'm at right now. I know I need to trust the Lord in a season where I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling uncertain. And I want to encourage you, if your heart's in in a spot that's similar to where my heart's at right now, let's trust the Lord together and let's seek His counsel. And let's ask Him, Lord, what's our next step? And as the Lord reveals that to us, let's make sure that we listen to His voice, regardless of, of what comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the teaching of Your Word. Thank You for the boldness of the apostles who were willing to do what You called them to do in the midst of their generation. And so, Lord, in, in moments like that, in the midst of our generation, help us to just listen to You. Help us, help us to, to receive good counsel from You. And as we receive that good counsel, we pray that we would act on it without reservation, without trepidation, without fear, that we would do what You call us to do. But we want to do what's right. 
not just what we, what we want to do. We want to do what's right. And so, Lord, we pray that in our day-to-day walk with you, that that would be something that would matter to us. We pray that, our, that in the way we operate as a church, that that would matter to us. We pray that as we consider our testimony to our community, our testimony to this world, that these are things that would matter to us as we learn to trust you in the midst of uncertain seasons. So again, Lord, thank you for the boldness of those who came before us. Thank you for the example that they, that they gave to us. And thank you for the good counsel that we receive from your word that is so much better and so much more refreshing than the counsel that we get from so many avenues right here and right now. Lord, we know that, that so many times we just hear just, uh, just utter rubbish and uh, we don't want to adopt rubbish as, the, the, as the, the governing mindset that we allow to dictate our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that we would use wisdom, that we would hear your voice, and that we would press on with the counsel and the wisdom that you've given to us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of being able to spend some time looking at your word today. And Lord, I just pray for, for anyone that, that uh, right now is wrestling with the same type of things that I've been wrestling with, Lord. We just pray that you give wisdom and peace to our hearts as we need it from you. Encourage us and help us, we pray, in the midst of this season. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.